Welcome to Truth, Lies, and Cover-Ups. I'm Tracy Brown, the fraud-busting body language expert. I've spent the last 20 years reading people, uncovering secrets hidden in plain sight to find the truth in crimes, politics, and billion-dollar business deals. And I want you to be able to tell whose pants are on fire, make better decisions, and build your bottom line as well. Get ready. Let's dive in. It's Tracy and I am back with another episode of Truth, Lies, and Cover-Ups with my trusty super producer, Alex. How are you? I told you to be quiet. I'm not in the mood. You are. You're always I'm, in the mood. I'm love not me. in the mood for you, you at all. love me. Yeah. Well, um, so so here's, here's my question for you. Have you ever been around and potentially involved with like big legal, potentially illegal activity that you would be willing to admit to? Okay, there are two questions in there. Are there? Yeah, my answer is yes and no. <laughs> okay, let's talk about the yes. What big illegal activity? Okay, let's follow that up with the no, which is I'm not going to tell you about it. <laughs> All right, Unless so here's bring... the deal. <laughs> We're going to find out about that later. What the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> you want me to admit this in public on, on microphone and camera? No, on, thank on you. On a podcast, it's going to live forever. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing. Our guest today, Michael Wilson... Mm -hmm. was around and potentially involved with some of that illegal activity. Is that because and he was a beach boy? A beach boy? No, that's that's a different Michael Wilson. No, this is Michael, Mike, M-Y-C-H-A-L. He's super cool. He's a lawyer out in, in L.A. Well, leave it to a lawyer to screw up the spelling of his own name. M-Y-C-H. No, that's correct? his mama. You got to call his mama. <laughs> it's his mama. <laughs> okay, I know better than to call out somebody's mama. There's some lines you just don't cross. But I know. I'm giving he, a guy a hard time is, about his name. <laughs> he's super cool. I think it makes him cooler. That's what I think. And okay. here's I actually got to give him points for that. It is a very unique way to do it. I like it. I like it yeah. a lot. And here's the deal. He... um ended up blowing the whistle on his employer mm -hmm. he got fired and then uh got some kind of award which he, it went through the whole court system he will not say how much it was and then he now he has a new career as a whistleblower attorney so these big awards where these companies have to pay the millions and millions of dollars yeah that's him so let's back up just a second so he worked for a company presumably in legal services medical Okay, medical, but he's an attorney, so I presume well, he's he, a legal Well, service. they paid for him to go to night school, and he ended up being a lawyer. Oh, well, that's brilliant. Sort of so, backfired on him. After they paid for that, then he used it against them, yeah. blew the whistle, uh -huh. and started a new career as uh -huh. a whistleblower attorney. Yes. You know, that could go either way. It's gone good for him. Well, no, here's where I'm going with that. I mean, there, there are certain people that would look at something like that and it would destroy them. They would never bounce back. My career's over. I'll never have another job. I've blown the whistle on this. Nobody's ever going to hire me. And they end up shutting down. And then there are other people that look at that as the opportunity. What doors does it open? And in this case, it opened the, the, uh, the door for a legal career, doing exactly what he had, it is he had just done and had to navigate his way through with no instructions. So that's well, actually really impressive. I think. It's super impressive. And it and everything you said is right. It is really hard once you blow the whistle on someone to get another job. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. So you have to be willing to reinvent. But we talk all about the mental process, like to go through blowing the whistle. Like what what first has to be so wrong? Up, Do it. Bring it to your face. 
the whistle and then you blow We're it. We're talking about the whole, yeah, the whole whistleblowing process. It's not like being a referee, like at a basketball game. It's like. Speaking it's like, of whistleblowing, uh-huh. did you happen to catch Marjorie Taylor Greene yesterday outside of Trump Tower? So that would have been on Tuesday, which was indictment day or arraignment day for uh, for the former president, uh, without getting into the politics of that. Marjorie, Marjorie Taylor Greene, of course, Congressman from whistle? Georgia, um, shows up to lead her own protest against the injustices being committed against our former president, uh, regardless of how you feel about that. Uh, she, she stuck around for about 10 or 15 minutes, tried to talk to people. Nobody could hear her on her bullhorn at oh. all, and so she left. The reason nobody could hear her is there was another supporter on her side of the fence handing out free whistles to everybody to make noise. <laughs> so the whole crowd was just blowing these whistles randomly, willy-nilly, and poor Marjorie could not be heard. Oh, we couldn't hear her talk about because of whistle. victimization. Now, yeah. now here's because the deal: I don't, whistleblowers. I don't think Michael actually has a whistle. That would speak to his credibility. I think so. I think. I think. Here's what we need to do: we need to get in and talk to him because it, he actually has a TV show. You can find it on Apple TV. I've been a guest on his show, and it's uh-huh. called The Whistleblower. And he talks to all kinds of people that are in and around financial fraud in in this kind of situation so it's really in-depth it's much more than i thought we'd get into and i think we're going to be fascinated well that sounds amazing let's go check it out let's go do it it's tracy and i am back with what i know is going to be a fascinating interview i have michael wilson lawyer michael wilson it's esquire isn't it uh, yes, it is, Tracy. <laughs> that is very fancy sounding. And so um, you are a uh, whistleblower attorney, but I know that there's more behind it because, you know, we talk a lot about fraud here. And so um, which is a whistleblower thing. But let's jump in to who are you? What's happened? What has led you to this space in your life? All right. Well, first of all, Tracy, I want to say thanks for coming on. I mean, I'm oh, sorry. Tracy, I want to say thanks for having me on the show. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I and I've seen you, your promotions online and, you know, social media and you're a rock star yourself. So, you know, it's great. Thank you so much. So here's my deal. Um, I moved to L.A. in the 90s um, as an actor. Oh, um, OK. Yeah. And so I had some success with commercials. You know, I had a short film that got a Sundance um, and but, you know, I wasn't really, you know, making a lot of money, Tracy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I needed a day job. Uh-huh. And so my day job was pharmaceutical sales. Oh, really? And yes, I started doing pharmaceutical sales in, I think, 94. Mm-hmm. And then finally I landed in Big Farm. And those were that kind of contract. Then I landed in Big Farm, Bristol Myers Squibb oh. um, in 1998, which was a great job. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, the reason why is, Back then, you know, they gave you a company car, you had benefits, yeah. they paid you really well, and you had a lot of autonomy. So I could go on calls um, to see doctors and also go on auditions, and no one would have any idea. Uh-huh. Um, in, in fact, back then, the the people who were already in the industry told me during our training in Newark, New Jersey, they said, Michael, the one thing you have to learn are the six T's. I'm like, well, what are you talking about? And they're like the six T's, man, the six T's. Uh-huh. And this, it's our work schedule, which is Tuesday through Thursday, 10 till two, right? <laughs> <laughs> we 
because back then, literally, and until this day, probably, you know, a lot of sales reps, I live in California, LA, a lot of sales reps would go to the beach mm. on Fridays and Mondays, you know, or go, or now it's wintertime, go to Big Bear, you know? Yeah. So, you know, all that happened. In any case, um, so it provided a lot of autonomy. Um, and I was the number one, uh, my first year out the gate, I was the number one sales rep for cardi- the cardiovascular and diabetes division of Bristol-Myers Squibb. Huh. Um, so I sold billion dollar drugs such as Plavix. Okay. Um, which helps with strokes and, mm-hmm. and heart attacks. I sold Provacol, which is a HMG, a cholesterol-lowering drug, drug similar to Zocor or Lipitor. Mm-hmm. And then I sold um, what was glucophage, known, which is known, the generic is known as metformin, which is still on the market. That's mm-hmm. for type 2 diabetes. So I was trained. I did really well. Um, and then I was still doing the acting. We had a film that was at Sundance. Uh, eventually did a feature film that was on hbo it's called the gristles on hbo and stars and mm-hmm. and every in showtime and that aired until like uh, i think like 2006 2007 okay um but in the meantime through all this i always wanted i always had a passion to go to law school oh. and with bristol Mars squibb I, I when i first started working there i applied to law school and got in at southwest into their night program so in, in la there were i think two schools like loyola and southwest back then that had night programs okay so i would during the day go on auditions and go to law school at night wow that's busy um, yeah i mean you know I, I was single back then you know okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know but a lot of people were going to business school um and and so i did that in um at a certain point, I would say in the early 2000s, mm-hmm. um, we had, there was some change in management. I had a manager who was really kind of micro. Um, I had a couple managers. Mm-hmm. And one manager said, you can't go to law school anymore. And I said, but why? I said, first of all, it's after working hours, you uh-huh. know, six, six at night. And I already got approval from the company. Mm-hmm. Because they did um, subsidize. And I said, well, if, if Bristol Myers Squibb is not going to do tuition reimbursement, I'll just pay for it myself. Right. Mm-hmm. And it became such a stink. And the, and the reason why, Tracy, one of the reasons why, which led down this whole road and journey where I'm at now, uh-huh. is because they wanted me still to drive numbers of doctors. Right. Mm-hmm. And back then, driving numbers, basically, you had to give inducements. So, which meant that I had to wine and dine physicians at night. Oh. Whether Lakers games, Kings mm-hmm. games, everything, you know, golf. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, literally, I would, you know, walk into, you know, Spago, the top restaurants in LA, yeah. create these dinner programs. The doctors would show up there with their spouses and they mm-hmm. would get paid to listen. Um, huh. um, and their spouses, you know, they would have spouses there. They would have girlfriends. They would have... Uh, I don't, you know, some other I don't, ladies whatever of the night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and those were high prescribing doctors who were targeted by the company. Mm-hmm. And so you knew what they liked, you know, you knew what they wanted. You would get them there, mm-hmm. um, and they would get paid. Um, and so what happened? I was start, I was starting getting harassed because I stopped doing that because I was going to law school at night, mm-hmm. and um, it became so contentious um, with that. Um, because also I was giving bottles of liquor. Like, you know, I had, we had one doctor in Koreatown who specifically said my manager came with me. So what can we do to drive more business for glucophage and Plavix? Yeah. And, um, I mean, he was seeing like 70 patients a day, you know, mm-hmm. which is unheard of. I mean, I think it was usually like 80 and he goes, um, I like Johnny Walker. So we went downstairs to the liquor store underneath uh-huh. his office and brought him back Johnny Walker, like red, I think, or black. Uh-huh. He's like, no, 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 
I want blue. Well, Johnny Walker blue is like 200, almost like $200 a bottle. Oh. And so I just give him Johnny Walker blue once a week, go in there. Once a week. Good God. That's a lot of drinking. Yeah. So <laughs> like um, it is. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that's the type of stuff we did back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, there were certain laws um, enacted like the pharma code and stuff like that. But my story kind of where, where it really gets interesting is, is because of that, the company started harassing me. Mm-hmm. Right. And they said, well, how can Michael, how can Michael be going to law school and working during the day? And you know what I did? I saw my 10 physicians of ZZ. I lived, mm-hmm. I lived in West Hollywood. Cedar mm-hmm. Sinai was five minutes away. It was easy to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I was in my territory. And so finally got so bad. I got an attorney and eventually in 2004, um, well, in 2003, I got an attorney and, you know, I said to him, so I understand why you want me to do this. And I understand why, you know, you're against me going to law school. But by the way, all the stuff we're doing is illegal, right? <laughs> and that oh. sent off red flags. So I became a big target. Uh-huh. Um, and my attorney was there to kind of protect me. But eventually, if I was going to get fired, I was going to get fired. And I was fired in September of 2004. So, um, okay. So wait a minute. So let me get this straight. So all the stuff you're doing as far as like the Johnny Walker, the the um, the, the dinners, the whole thing, illegal. It was completely. I mean, it's, they're kickbacks, right? Inducements. Mm-hmm. Basically, you're giving, you know, um, quid pro quo, you're giving physicians inducements or kickbacks um, in in return Mm -hmm. for prescriptions. Okay, Um, And, you know, all all these doctors who even to this day who are on the speaker bureaus, who speak, who are on advisory boards, they're all either very um, KOLs, key opinion leaders or high prescribers. Okay. So they can drive the product for the company mm-hmm. where there's subscriptions, where there's device sales. I mean, and it's, it's illegal. You can't, you know, as a pharma rep, and I didn't drink all the clay, but you know, you do drink some of it. You don't really realize it. Cause you say it's coming from company, uh-huh. coming from marketing, it's coming from we we were even documenting this stuff mm-hmm. um, as part as our pay grade. So the more of these events you did, then the higher your salary and promotions you would get. Mm-hmm. Um, so you had to show that. And that eventually the company was like, oh, this is a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, yeah, so all that was illegal. And eventually I filed um, a Meta, a Waters Krauss, which is a, another law firm. Um, and they took my case and they filed a whistleblower case in like 2006. Because they, and, fi- now, because they did fire you. Yeah. They, oh, they fired. They uh-huh. fired me. Yeah. Yeah. So I was left with nothing. I was kind of, I didn't think they would because I had a, uh, well, I kind of thought they would, but you know, I had an attorney and everything. So they fired me, no paycheck. They took the company car. And here's one of the things. So when they took the company car, I had my exit interview with two managers, you know, and they're still in the business. And they said to you, okay, well, we, so is this everything, you know, your laptop? I'm like, here's my laptop. Here's everything. He said, we want to check your storage unit. Um, I said, well, I've given you everything. I've given you back the samples because uh-huh. I kept the samples of the drugs in the storage unit, right? Uh-huh. Now, originally, Bristol-Myers had paid for that storage unit. But about three months prior to that, they had a new policy. So the reps had to pay for the storage unit. Oh, okay. So, so I said to him, well, actually, you can't go in the storage unit because I'm the one paying for it now. So no, you can't go in there. Well, I, at that time, had probably about... 20,000 documents mm-hmm. that I had saved against Bristol Myers Squibb. Mm. Their marketing materials, all the receipts mm-hmm. of my expense reports, 
checks to doctors I made copies of mm-hmm. um, that I would hand out to doctors. And so that became key because when I filed my lawsuit in 2006, um, they were already being investigated by the Department of Justice. Um, and so when Bristol Myers Squibb settled with the Department of Justice for $515 million, there were like six other whistleblowers. And technically under the statute, I should have been barred. But because of my, I had such damning material evidence, um, I was able to partake in that settlement. Mm-hmm. That's how I got my start. Um, because at the time, 2007, the economy w- imploded. Um, I, I had graduated from law school and I was doing entertainment law mm-hmm. at the time too. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the entertainment business kind of left LA, especially in independent film. And so I kind of made the switch to what else but Quitam law, which is a whistleblower law. Um, I said, well, no, you know, no, what'd you call it? Quit? I've never heard that. Called, so it's also called Quitam. It's Latin, which basically comes from a, a, a term um, that basically means he who sues for, wait, he who sues for the king sues for himself. And meaning that when you file these whistleblower lawsuits, especially under the False Claims Act, uh-huh. um, it's really the government's case. So what you're doing is you're filing, you aren't, you aren't the plaintiff, you're known as a relator. So you're filing a case on the behalf of the U.S. government. Oh. Um, then the U.S. government is the real party in interest here um, because what you're looking at is fraud against the government. Mm-hmm. So in healthcare fraud, which was my case, um, the anti-kickback statute applied because you're giving doctors um, money for um, prescriptions, sure. which are false claims submitted to the government. Mm-hmm. So basically, you're robbing Medicaid and Medicare. Um, oh, okay. Um, that makes sense. Which okay. Is ta- which is taxpayers' money. Uh-huh. So as a reward um, under the False Claims Act, whistleblowers may be entitled anywhere between 15 to 30% of that. So when you, you know, when you break down, if there's a case settlement for, let's just say for $10 mm-hmm. um, and a whistleblower brings a case, the whistleblower may be entitled between, you know, um, up to th- $3 of that $10. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um it's usually somewhere in the middle, so it's usually around like around two dollars. Huh. Um, yeah. So, and then you know, of course, you have to split with your attorneys, but the advantage is under the statutes, their attorneys' fees. So attorneys like these cases uh-huh. because they take them on contingency. And if there is a settlement or a judgment, not only do they recover out of the contingency portion mm-hmm. of the, the reward, but they get their attorneys' fees under the statute separately. Huh. Oh wow. So then so how how long did this case go and did you win and tell me about it okay so it was actually for me it was probably so i filed in 2006 and bms settled in 2007 mm-hmm. which is pretty much unheard of that's because yeah. they were already being investigated by the doj okay. and there were other whistleblowers um who got a lot of money out uh-huh. of that um and then there was another spinoff portion of that case mm-hmm. which was under the california um department of insurance private insurance statute mm-hmm. um and so that settled in 2016 for 30 million. And that part of it, I actually had two other relators, Eve Allen and Lucius Allen, who actually I worked with at Bristol Myers Squibb. And Lucius Allen actually worked for, I mean, played for the LA um Lakers, played for UCLA, he's a famous basketball player. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and they, they used him because he would cru- recruit all the physicians to the Laker games. Oh. He'd mm-hmm. get in the doctor's offices and you know, and and really get certain certain bms drugs on formularies at key mm-hmm. hospitals like mm-hmm. cedar sinai um and, and like ucla 
Um, so it was the preferred drug that the, the physicians would prescribe. Uh-huh. Um, so and that's kind of the road at that at that point there. Um, I, you know, I became a whistleblower attorney, a quitam attorney. But wow. back, but wait, 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 back, back up a little bit. Yeah. Much, can you reveal how much you got out of the case? Um, I don't, you know, I've always kept that private. Um, uh-huh. I, out of 515 million, there were seven other whistleblowers. Mm-hmm. I did not get, you know, like $50 million. Let's put it that way. Um, the, the 30 million I split with my co-relators. We had an arrangement. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, there's that, but, um, so you came out. Okay. Actually, yeah. But I've uh-huh. actually made more as uh-huh. a whistleblower attorney, um, than actual whistleblower because I've had success against, Medtronic, um, their cardiac device mm-hmm. um, division, they settled for $23.5 million, mm-hmm. like I think 2011, then almost $10 million in 2014. Biotronic settled for $5 million. But I've had a lot of pricing cases, pricing fraud, uh, AWP cases that have settled mm-hmm. um, and as co-counsel in those cases. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I've had a lot of cases now under SEAL and healthcare fraud, but now I have a lot of cases um in the financial area um so whether it's the sec whistleblower program the commodities whistleblower program the cfct or uh fincen now has a huge um whistleblower program um because there was a revise for the anti-money laundering act i mean Mm -hmm. we have foreign sanctions now Mm -hmm. banks you know where the money's flowing you know um a lot of these government agencies really up their whistleblower programs especially financially after the Madoff issue, yeah. Bernie Madoff and his, with his Ponzi scheme. So now there's a lot of rewards going to um, financial fraud whistleblowers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a different process. So let's talk about this. So um, how how are people finding you? I mean, because you, you've made a name for yourself as the whistleblower guy. Like, how does that start? Okay, so um, for me myself, you know, I've always it, it wasn't it wasn't about the money, mm-hmm. um, and you know, I always reported to the company Brisbane Squibb that this unethical stuff was going, on, illegal mm-hmm. stuff was going on, and so that was my background, you know, I, I, and that's why I do my show for people who have a sense of integrity, and morality, because mm-hmm. I did Tracy, I did have people come to me say, Michael, just lay low and do your job, mm-hmm. you know, don't stir up trouble, and I was like, no, you know what. I'm getting harassed here and everything we're doing is illegal. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I was being watched, um, you know, by other employees. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was tracked to doctor's offices to see if I was working, if I was lying. I mean, it got pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what, after that, um, I started doing a lot uh, with my acting background, a lot of um, legal analyst work. Mm-hmm. So, um, Yeah, you're on I, TV all the time. Yeah. So I was going down, you know, Twice a week, I would drive two and a half hours to San Diego to One American News Network, which is funny, because as I say on the network, uh, Tracy, I'm from Washington, D.C. You know, I grew up in D.C. in the 80s and 90s. And, you know, I'm a liberal and I was like the liberal whipping boy on One American News Network. And it was great. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, it's it's it's, you know, pretty far right and um, uh-huh. nicest people in the world. And, you know, great. The producers are great. The host, Rick Amato, is great. Um, Sutton, you know, the producer. The booking producer, uh, she's on my show, was mm-hmm. great. And so, you know, you kind of realize um, what goes on in those um, shows, you know, for the ratings. Mm-hmm. In any case, <laughs> so I created my own show in 2018 called The Whistleblower. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it's more of a news docuseries based on exploring the truth 
uh, and really congratulating people who are, you know, want to expose the, tr- the truth and do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of not all of them are David or in Goliath stories. Um, you know, there's smaller stories or bigger stories. Um, you know, we've done I've covered everything from, you know, the wars in Afghanistan, Ukraine, um, sex trafficking, um, you know, the rush shooting right now, which is in the press with Gloria Allred and, you know, regarding Alec Baldwin. Um, yeah, me, that's something. Me, yeah, me too. We've had great guests. Me too. Um, mm-hmm. The opioid epidemic, which still is going on. Mm-hmm. So and we've handled classic False Claims Act cases. Um, and, you know, CBS did a show called Whistleblower. Mm-hmm. And actually, I was on the premiere of that show oh. on july like the first show i'm in the second half of that show mm-hmm. and we kind of worked together at first because I, I was the whistleblower and they were a whistleblower and that's big tv and you know i was doing yeah. my own thing that only lasted for two seasons and part of the reason why i believe is because you know when you you get into say false claims at cases mm-hmm. which is whistleblower law mm-hmm. um it's a minefield it's complex litigation and you know a lot of stories can't be told because of pending litigation um, or because investigations are continuing with the D- Department of Justice, the mm-hmm. FBI, OIG. And so to keep up a show like that is really hard because you can't get the content. Exactly. Um, exactly. You know, and so I branched out, you know, I, you know, for other things, you know, other mm-hmm. stories out there that people want to hear, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whether it's domestic or international. Yeah. And so, you know, I built a large following on social media. Um, mm-hmm. We have the whistleblowershow.com which, you know, people can see, you know, the 13 seasons there. Well, and I hear you have a great body language expert coming on. Yeah. <laughs> the ultimate one, that would be you, Tracy. Um, <laughs> that will be released soon. And that, you know, that, that that's a great interview that you did, um, especially some of the tips for people out there on learning about, you know, body language, how Absolutely. people are lying, people, you know, are telling the truth, you mm-hmm. know, fascinating stuff. Yeah. Um, so so what's what's the craziest case you've worked on that you can talk about? Or it could be like the biggest case or the most surprising, the most unusual. Um, well, I do have a couple. Uh, well, that so, so so here's the thing. So what I can talk about? Yeah, what you um, can talk about? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the crazy ones I can't talk about. Um, mm-hmm. because some of them are still under seal. Mm-hmm. Um, my crazy my case is actually when you look at it, it was pretty crazy. The amount of money that was being spent. Um, if you look at some of the device cases that I handled, mm-hmm. uh, meaning that people, companies were paying, you know, doctors and doctors were implanting cardiac devices into patients. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, did the patients need that card? Do they need that pacemaker, the defibrillator, defibrillator? Well, you know, that's up for debate, but that happens all the time. Uh-huh. Uh, I currently have a case against Medtronic Spine um, um, that I can't talk about, but if that's unsealed. Um, and that's out there in the public. Um, I have some financial fraud cases which are, which are absolutely crazy. Uh-huh. Um, but those are classic whistleblower cases. Um, the one case um, that I can talk about, which everyone knows about, was um, I had a friend who contacted me a while back. Mm-hmm. And she says, listen, um, I have an issue going on. And long story short, she was pregnant Um she went for to OBGYN, a prestigious one mm-hmm. at New York Presbyterian in Columbia in, in New York. Mm-hmm. And she didn't feel like the exam went well. And she said, I didn't feel like, you know, my legs were up in stirrups. There's the curtain there. Mm-hmm. The nurse left the room. And basically, I didn't feel like there was metal down there. And 
and it involved Dr. Robert Haddon, mm-hmm. who is an OBGYN in New York. Mm-hmm. And now there's, I think, a thousand women who come out against him. Uh-huh. And he had a scheme uh-huh. where he was um, sexually assaulting women Ugh. orally. Orally. And so in, in the in the scheme was basically with my client who was Jane Doe number one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and she, you know, she's out there in the news was that the, the hospital procedures where he was doing his exams. He had a scheme where he was in there with a nurse, the mm-hmm. chaperone right? yeah. but would leave and then come back by himself without the chaperone or the nurse. Mm-hmm. And so you have just the patient there with the curtain and legs up in stirrup and you mm-hmm. can't really see what's going on. And the yeah. doctor there who's, you know, a pervert, sick yeah. man. And he did this to um, like a thousand women about, I think even Miss um, Yang as Ellen Yang in New York, uh, you know, she had a case and, you know, that is just crazy stuff. And so initially he got a slap where he lost his medical license. Mm-hmm. And I think he had to be registered as a sex offender, but he was not charged by, you know, the DA at the time, Cy Vance. And and my client, no one believed her. No one believed her. She, you know, she went on um, social media sites and Uh she got trolled big time. Mm -hmm. Um, And this was a scheme. He was prestigious, you know? Well, I'll tell you what. I've always wondered about men who are OBGYNs. It just doesn't seem right. It's it's (laughs) very weird. I mean, just start. And I do not get it. I do not get it. Yeah, there's a famous quote by Mike Tyson one time. I think he was giving a a, a speech at Spelman, you know, all black uh, mm-hmm. college, girls college in the South. And he got, was getting an auto, honorary doctor degree. And he was, it said something like, you know, I don't know much about being a doctor, but, you know, if I had to be one, looking at all you fine young ladies out there, I'd, I'd be a, a OBGYN. Totally. It's very, <laughs> it's creepy. It's completely, completely. Mm-hmm. So that is one of the craziest things. Um, and we were able to represent her and, you know, she had a settlement with the hospital and everything because, you know, the, the hospital was where these um, these examinations took place uh-huh. and there were just more proper procedures. So for people out there listening, whether you are um, having an OBGYN exam or you have a colonoscopy or something like that, uh-huh. you have to have chaperones in the room. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was a doctor at USC who had similar conduct. You know, and you see these things and, you know, um, you know, I did another show on um, w- with a company called Heart Snug and they make these tops mm-hmm. where um, instead of wearing a medical gra- a gown, it's kind of like a medical bra for mm-hmm. women um, who have to have, a you know, a breast exam mm-hmm. or having surgery. Um, so it gives them their own right, their own power over their privacy. Mm-hmm. So they can just like remove a flap instead of pulling everything down yeah, yeah. Uh, and I bring that up because patient privacy is a very important part of you know of being you know a human of going to see a doctor you can't put all the power in doctors and that's how people are manipulated and you know as a fraud buster people mm-hmm. get manipulated they get talked to and you know that's when fraud occurs you know well yeah it, and it happens a couple ways one is um it like someone in a prestige position, right? And and like in in hypnosis, because I'm a I'm a hypnotist. It's it's called a press. It's called a prestige suggestion. You just do it because you think they know what's best. But then um, things also happen when people are in compromised positions, right? And then yeah. when, when you get those two together, it's just ripe for an incident to go down. Yeah, and you know, and part for me, I look at is people who who have a high sense of morality, like yourself. 
is, you know, to do the right thing and speak out and expose the truth, expose mm -hmm. the fraud, because um, it goes on. And, you know, one, I think about me in my case, in my journey is I was very vocal about it, you know, and that's why, you know, you know, I spoke out and, you know, became an attorney and, you know, you have to pass the bar, mm -hmm. you have a moral application, you know, and I was worried about that when all this was going on at BMS. And, and that's part of the reason why I didn't want to have anything to do with that stuff. Right. Um, and so, you know, a lot of times, though, people have to realize there are two types of conduct. There's unethical and there's illegal. Mm -hmm. And so I get a lot of calls, a lot of contact with people who may have a sense of unethical conduct, mm -hmm. but it has to be actionable. Um, and just because unethical doesn't mean it's illegal. And so there's a difference there. Mm -hmm. Now, um, how many cases come through your office that you can't take or don't want to take for some reason or, or find that they're not legitimate? Like, what's your percentage? Um, you know, I haven't done a breakdown about that, but it's a lot. I get, you know, conspiracy theories. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> There's a lot of those these days. I do refer out a lot. So if I get accidents, I don't do those. I don't do PI cases, you know, mm -hmm. class action. But I do get conspiracy theories. Um, um, but I get a lot of legitimate cases. And, you know, for anyone out there listening, you know, if you want to contact me, another attorney or a fraud busters, to, you know, because everyone, attorneys work with people like Tracy. Mm -hmm. Because you need a team. Um, you just can't do it by yourself. Mm -hmm. And so we have experts, et cetera. And part of it is to bring um, the material evidence um, to the table. Mm -hmm. Meaning, you know, you don't want some abstract theory. Because number one, attorney's not going to take that. It's too much work. Mm -hmm. And number two, most certainly the government will not take that. Mm -hmm. And so let me explain why. Because when you're dealing with government agencies, whether it's the FDA, DOJ, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, they're the government. They have limited resources. Mm -hmm. So part of the jobs as attorneys is to bring it on a silver platter. Mm -hmm. And here's the fraud. Here's all the evidence. You know, mm -hmm. here are the violations. Here's the law. Here are the facts. And lay it out. So it makes it really, really easy for them. Because mm -hmm. um, then, you know, for False Claim Act cases and a lot of whistleblower cases, it's like a public public private partnership. Mm -hmm. You know, private attorneys like myself who work with the public government agencies. Mm -hmm. And you really, you know, you have to have something that has a lot of material evidence and a yeah. lot. Of and so if you come to an attorney saying, hey, I had this great idea. Um then you say, okay, is it actionable? And there's also certain requirements under the False Claims Act. So for example, you have to be an original source, which means you have to, you don't really have to be necessarily an insider, like a, an employee, but mm -hmm. you have to have direct and independent knowledge of the fraud scheme. Um, for example, sales. I was a sales rep, insider, right? Great. But there's a lot of cases out there now, especially in the financial uh, industry, um, especially Ponzi schemes like Harry Macopolis, who brought down Madoff, who are number crunchers and they bring up these formulas. Yeah. And, you know, they are they're contacted and they aren't working, say, for the for the hedge fund or something. But they have a whistleblower. They they crunch numbers. And they say this can't possibly be working because here's our what our return looks like. Mm -hmm. And they, they file it, expose a fraud, and they eventually get a whistleblower award mm -hmm. to say like the SEC program. Because they have the original knowledge of the thing like yeah. firsthand experience yeah yeah so if you come to an attorney you know to say and you say hey listen i saw this fraud's going on right mm -hmm. like let's say okay so it was a classic example here um trump alleged former president trump alleged, alleged election fraud in 2020 mm -hmm. uh, and the reason why the courts and all these lawsuits are uh, and the reason why the courts threw a lot 
through almost every case out is because there was really no evidence. And so when you plead fraud, there's a heightened pleading requirement known mm -hmm. as a particularity requirement, Rule 9B, which means that you have to plead the who, what, why, when, and where of the fraud. Mm -hmm. Okay, And that was kind of the issue with Trump was he was pleading, okay, well, there's voter fraud. Okay, mm -hmm. well, who's doing it? Where was it? Um, and that goes the same applies the same with say whistleblower cases. Um, Department of Justice is going to want to know. Okay, who? Right? Mm -hmm. What defendant? Where? I need specifics on what date, what time. Um, you know what what was said, what was not said. Um, and that that's how you develop these great cases. Yeah, you can't just guess at it. Yeah, because then you aren't. And the reason why the law is like that is it's 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 designed to prevent parasitic lawsuits mm -hmm. or frivolous lawsuits mm -hmm. because then you know all the people who may contact me who say i know of a fraud scheme mm -hmm. um yeah. that... like the, the, the police the police are taking the children away mm -hmm. you know let's go after the police and you're like well okay well what do you mean by that you know or well yeah know, and also going against the police never works <laughs> like yeah. you're never gonna, it's yeah. never but i've gotten i have gotten messages like that mm -hmm. even more recently and you're, you're like okay um Sorry, I can't, you know, you just, I can't help you out here. Oh, yeah. So well, I get messages thing. from crazy people all the time, all the time. Like for, uh, I get calls from jail. I mean, I get all, all kinds of calls, but mostly oh, yeah. for me, it's um, uh, uh, calls from lawyers who, uh, it's parents. Um, one, of them, one of them is uh, accusing the other of sexual assault in, on, on the children because they want full custody and divorce. So I end up doing a oh, lot of right. that. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, that's yeah, that's hard. Yeah. Well, the, and so so the first thing a lawyer does is, hey, can you look at this interview of the kid? And I'm like, no, I'm not a child forensic person. Like, I want to let let let's get in and let's talk to the parents, and then we'll see what's real here. Because with a yeah. four to six year old little kid, it's they're like parrots, right? They're gonna say whatever someone's trained them to say and we've caught some we've caught some kids using language outside of their age level like way outside their uh -huh. age level and that's and that's a pretty good giveaway but my job is to help someone like you the lawyer know where to ask better questions and deeper questions and like dig here this is this is what's going on so that's that's my role and yeah and you know what in in you at this point i mean the way the pandemic has changed um, the practice of law, you know, a lot of attorneys who work remotely, depositions are done, as you know, through Zoom now. Mm -hmm. um, so you aren't going to some conference room and you're sitting there all day, mm -hmm. you know. And so on the depositions, um, you can see what makes, you know, the witnesses nervous, not even the attorney's reactions on certain questions and certain mm -hmm. objections. You know, and that's where you, for you know, someone like you, you I mean, that's your expertise. Yep. You can say, oh, yep. okay, that let's dig further there. That's that was that got to that attorney. You know, yep. mm -hmm. I've seen it happen in recent depositions that I've been in. So, well, um, yeah, it, but I think that that's a key for anyone listening here is, yeah, you got to listen to whoever you're asking the question from, but you got to look for the reactions for the people sitting next to them <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because yeah. that might be a lot more telling. <laughs> yeah. Like, and, you know, that goes back. Even when I was at Bristol Tomorrow Squibb, I knew, first of all, I knew what I was doing was the right thing mm -hmm. because I know that people around me were starting to sweat a little bit and the, the comments I was getting from feedback from other sales mm -hmm. reps, not the ones who I knew who supported me, but other ones, you know, I could tell, you know, that 
something was going on. I didn't really, I, you know, I, at that time when it first started, I thought it was unethical. Mm-hmm. And then I realized it became illegal mm-hmm. um, what we were doing. But, you know, I could tell from the feedback for certain district managers mm-hmm. uh, and their, their posturing around when I was around them at sales meetings, you mm-hmm. know, you okay, I see what's going on. Now, okay, so last question. Uh, maybe it's second to last question. What, yep. If if someone's in the middle of something like you were in at Bristol Myers Squibb, right, or any of your clients, where they're like, "This is not right," and they know they need to blow the whistle, there's a lot of factors involved in that decision. Yep. What should people be thinking of first? Like, like like their first two concerns should be what when they're thinking of maybe calling someone like you or like what what's the reality? Okay, so, you know, a lot of people say, well, I'll go to human resources. But ultimately, as I found out, a lot of people out there, you know, who've gone through this, is human resources really is there to defend the company mm-hmm. and the contract, right? So you can report the alleged fraud to the company, which you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the end, you know, you're setting yourself up as a mark right there. Yeah. Right? It's for eventual termination. Mm-hmm. So what do you do? Um, one is I would reach out to a, an attorney, mm-hmm. right, who can help guide you through the process. Um but before you even report some of this stuff um, is, you know, start gathering your material evidence there. Mm-hmm. With, you know, I don't know if it's if it's pharmaceuticals, start grabbing sales materials, marketing materials, expense supports. Mm-hmm. If you're in the financial industry, you know, go for the budgets and everything like that. Um, and, and, you know, this has to be within the scope of your employment. Right. Um, and, you know, to protect yourself. I mean, you can't all of a sudden like go into your supervisor's computer and steal documents that way. Right. right? Cause that's another I mean, kind of theft. <laughs> another kind exactly. of fraud. I mean, that's, you're going to end up like Snowden and, and live in, and live in Siberia if you do that. Right. Yeah. If he's still <laughs> in the airport in Moscow, I'd be like, oh, that guy. <laughs> I think so. I think he was granted citizenship finally. Um, but yeah, so you can't do that. Um, mm-hmm. Whatever's in the scope of your employment, you know, you know, gather your evidence and save it. You know, companies are smart nowadays. So, you know, I've had cases um, where they can track you now using your um, your you you your uh, like a jump drive. When you're downloading documents from your company laptop, right? Oh, they wow. can track. They they can track that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, if you really want to do something, you know, take screenshots off your laptop with your iPhone or your Android phone or something like that. Oh, um, there's a good trick. Yeah, because when you start downloading, especially data dumps, it sends up flags to the compliance and auditors within these companies. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've seen it. I mean, we've actually had a client who was saving documents at the same time. She saw her, I believe it was her manager in her computer scrubbing it, trying to get rid of the files. Mm-hmm. So literally while she was saving the files, the, the company was trying to delete the files. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> so um, the other thing you can do is um, with your documents, and I know it may be voluminous, but print them out as hard copies. Mm-hmm. Okay, you print them as hard copies, or, sh- or you know, shoot screenshots. Mm-hmm. The one clue that'll give you away, especially if you report it to HR, because they're going to be tracking you, is data dumps from your laptop mm-hmm. to an external drive. That's a dead giveaway. Emails kind of are dead giveaways. When you start forwarding emails, they're gonna they're gonna do that. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, here's a crazy story, Tracy. Okay. Um, well, I had one case that eventually settled, and I had the client, and and the the company did internal investigation. Okay, and they demanded a meeting in Boston. 
And so I was, so my client says, well, I need you there. I'm like, well, I'm not going to go there because they know, you know, everyone knows I'm a whistleblower attorney. Mm -hmm. So we sit with another attorney and I had told my client long, long time ago, I said, Hey, when you contact me, just get a track phone from 7-Eleven and, and call me. Or yeah, text me on phone. yeah. Yeah. Don't get, don't use your regular phone. Mm -hmm. And he goes, well, it's my phone. Right. Or he, no, he said, it's my number. They can't do anything. I'm control of the bill. Right. Mm -hmm. So what happened? He gets to this meeting and the company asks him, so who's Michael Wilson? Oh, and he goes, uh, my attorney. And uh -huh. then they were, well, how many attorneys do you have? So what happened was he, it was his number, but it was the company's device. Oh, right? so the company owned the phone. They had all of the, you know, access to the hardware. Mm -hmm. So they were tracking everything that way. So I just tell people to make it clean. Like you said, get a burner phone, get a track phone. Um, never use your company laptop for personal business because you're going to get tracked that way. Mm -hmm. And even though something is, even though something's on your laptop, it's not necessarily, you, it can be deleted. I mean, I've had people try to run over their company laptop. I have people sink it in a bathtub. Because sometimes the companies say, hey, we need to update. Can you send your laptop in mm -hmm. or can you send your iPad in? And they're going to they're going to see what's going on. You know, that's oh, how yeah. well, I had a um, someone told me this story. It was a policeman who was trying to oh, he was oh, he he was trying to stop the feds from sending or stop his employer, the department from taking out because he had a judgment a divorce judgment or something like that, yeah. a settlement with his wife. So he went over and he ran his lap. He had his laptop ran over by a train. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. People, people do some crazy things. Um, yeah. So, so here's another, here's a great story for you. So I had a settlement back in 2014 mm -hmm. and there was a debate over I was talking about those statutory fees um, and the company um, didn't pay, didn't want to pay me. And so basically I had maybe about half a million dollars in attorney's fees. Um, and I had a fees attorney who was fighting for me. Mm -hmm. My co-counsel settled his. So I was going against the company and the company was like, well, we're not going to pay this, you know, duplicate efforts. You know, you shouldn't be paid this hour. Mm -hmm. We got into discovery and, and their first year attorneys are making, you know, more than I am per hour, charging more than an hour. It's so all this stuff. So they wouldn't pay it. So finally the court awarded the attorney's fees, right? Mm -hmm. And we didn't, but they kind of split the court split down the middle. And we said, we're going to appeal. We feel like we have a right here. We're going to go up to the ninth circuit. So the company refused to pay the, the, the court judgment. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, the court award. So what happened? I said, oh, well, this, my, my attorney goes, we'll just levy their bank account. And you know what we did? We got a hold of the checks that the company was paying the doctors with. And so we had the check account and the routing number. We, my attorney drove from, from San Francisco to Sacramento, enforced it, went to the sheriff's department and said, here, we're, we know we're going to levy this right here. Mm -hmm. And it worked. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> and this is a billion dollar company, a billion uh -huh. dollar company. Uh -huh. And so this is what, this is what, you know, attorneys, you know, this is what people go up against, you know, mm -hmm. these lies, you know, and you really have to fight the fight. No one is just going to, give you lay down and give you money um mm -hmm. especially right. if you're a whistleblower you know mm -hmm. people don't you know people you know will call whistleblower snitches and rats and stuff but you know this is a little different for people listening out there because we we're going after after corporations for fraud we aren't going after people mm -hmm. uh, and so you're going after corporations who are defrauding people like you who are taxpayers mm -hmm. of, of, of money
Yeah. Um, you know, and that's where it's a little different. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's that. And I would say for uh, another tip for people out there, um, besides attorneys and human resources is really, you know, gather this evidence listen to your attorney. Um, and one thing about certain laws is, is that, um, Certain laws, like the SEC, SEC whistleblower program, mm-hmm. require you to actually to report the fraud internally first. Mm-hmm. So oh. you may have to report the fraud, mm-hmm. which actually isn't a bad thing because it shows that you're trying to work with the company. But also, w- a, under a lot of statutes, if you report the fraud and then you terminate it, then it gives it may give rise to a wrongful termination lawsuit. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. So even you know the company's going to fire you, but you know you you can say, hey, I reported the fraud. And then in state court, a lot of times or under the False Claims Act, you can file for wrongful termination. Mm-hmm. Um, but you had to have reported the fraud first. Mm-hmm. Under California statute, it doesn't even necessarily mean that the fraud is real. It can, it's just your belief in the fraud, your belief that the fraud. Oh, wow. Oh, that is interesting. Huh. So there are a lot more whistleblower protections than there were, say, 15 years ago. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Wow. Okay. So here's what people need to do is watch your show, The Whistleblower. How can people find your show? Okay. So it is on Apple, LG, Samsung, um, uh, Roku. It's The Whistleblower. Um, you can just get the app. Mm-hmm. And from the app, um, you can either go on demand, watch certain episodes on demand, or you can watch the live stream. Mm-hmm. Uh, it will, you know, the episodes will also be up on YouTube soon. Um, but, you know, you can just, it's OTT. So go to the whistleblower show.com. Okay. Um, and just the whistle, whistle, the whistleblower show.com. And everything's there. Excellent. Um, and and we will put the that... trailer. You can watch the episode. We'll put it in the show, in the show notes. So people can go there and then. I know they'll be getting yeah, a hold of you if they show, have a big fraud. Sorry? I know they'll be getting a hold of you if they have a big fraud. Yeah. And Tracy, the show, each episode, if you go to watch on demand, it gives a little background on what the show is about. Mm-hmm. So right now, the content's so diverse that, you know, one thing I will say about the show is, and the reason why I did it is, is, is just not like a, a vanity show. It's really experiencing people's, you know, what they went through out there. But there's mm-hmm. always at the end is self-help resources. Oh, cool. For example- you how can people reach out to you right mm-hmm. if they need a, a fraud busting expert or something like that how can people associate with you know i had alice Hagel who was sex trafficked by t- from like 15 to 18 you know what about others out there who need you know going through recovery there you know ranch hands rescue in texas who helps males who have been sex trafficked so oh, there's wow. always people out there for people as a resource mm-hmm. said so, hey this happened to me you know, I may not be a whistleblower, but this happened to me and I can get help this way or a parent can get help this way, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, and that's one that's one of the special things, I think, really about the show. Oh, I love it. Well, I can't wait to watch a few more episodes. And um, thank you for coming on Truth, Lies and Cover Ups and for the work that you're doing out there, making the world a better place. Love it. And, and thank you, Tracy. And, and you know what? Hopefully we'll get to work on some cases together soon. Oh, we will. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll have to keep it confidential, though. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks for joining me. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it. I'll see you next time. Not yet. <laughs> so this is this is my my first really nice car that I bought, mm-hmm. and uh, and it goes really fast. And uh-huh. um, how fast have you gone so far? Uh, about a hundred. 
All right. So not really, not crazy, but um, I I let Alex drive it out to Harbor Freight and someone flicked us off. (laughs) (laughs) I had to park it like the far end of the parking lot at the Harbor Freight, like literally a quarter mile away from the store. Well, we got to, we got to try to get it to where it stays nice. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I understand why people might do that if they have a Lamborghini, you know, something truly unusual that people may look at and and possibly target Uh in some way. But I mean, seriously, when's the last time you pulled into a parking spot and slammed your door into the car next to you? Well, you know, if the wind comes up or something that can happen. Um, But the funny thing is, you know, my brother used to drive that Ferrari and um, he parked it way far away out at Home Depot down in Houston. Uh (laughs) He said he came out and some guy uh, had parked the worst looking car ever is uh, 1982 the, Buick Scarlet? Yeah, Scar-like, the thing yeah. that barely ran, parked it right as close as he could get to, <laughs> to the Ferrari. <laughs> and my brother's got a good sense of humor, and he was like, "You know what? I got to hand it to that guy." <laughs> yeah, that's well played. <laughs> got to give him points. Another one that uh, I, I've seen on social media is where um, is somebody who you know the jackass who parks in like three parking spaces. I did shoot. I did that in in our show. I I parked in four spaces <laughs> when I rented that Porsche for the film. Well, that's just how you park, though, because you're a bad parker. Well, but... <laughs> wait, let's talk about who's about. You couldn't park the car because it's an Acura MDX, which is wider than the car I used to drive in the yeah, car. That, and I kept missing the lines that you have. But no, you were always over, always crooked, always over. So here at Harbor Freight, we did take up two spots at Harbor Freight because you couldn't park the it's seven we inches wide. We inched into a spot. Actually, we were on the line. So if this were tennis, it would be in. <laughs> Harbor Freight, though. Yeah, uh, well, Harbor Freight. Those are cars around. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, but my favorite, and uh, I've seen this on social media, is where have you seen this? Where somebody will post a picture of somebody who's you know parked their car diagonal, like my car is so much better than everybody else. I get four parking places because nobody should be anywhere near my car. Oh, get yourself righteous jackass ass out of here so it's just just like you park in harbor freight because it was actually technical pretty much technically you could not do it basically the same (laughs) Same effect but you come outside (laughs) and you see that somebody has taken you know 50 shopping carts from around the lot and just ringed your car with shopping carts no one's ever done that to me (laughs) i'm gonna i'm gonna know it's you next time you've been following me around (laughs) i'd totally do that (laughs) oh my gosh i know you would um